All right, so this might be your first time to Redeemer, I'm guessing for some of you, this, or you could be a part of the original church plant that happened here uh, 20 some odd years ago. But whatever your level of experience is with De Redeemer, it's, it's good for you to know that you have a good team of leaders here, right? I mean, if we had a bunch of losers, that wouldn't be a good thing. So it's nice to know we have a good team of leaders here. It's also like an account for thanking God. Thank you, God, that we have a good team of gospel leaders here. We can also be greatly encouraged because you know, I know, that the number one reason pastors leave the ministry, missionaries leave the mission field, people leave churches is because of bad leadership teams. Relational conflict on these relational teams. So we have a lot to be encouraged, a lot to be thankful. Thank you, God, that you've given us a great leadership team. Thank you that you're growing an ever-expanding team of gospel leaders. Wonderful, right? So I just want to give you an example of how that's happening on the leadership team. There's one elder on the leadership team who is currently experiencing right now a mini-revival of sorts. Uh, certainly not on the scale of the Great Awakening, but some sort of spiritual spark, let's say. How do I know this? Because he told us. He shared this with all the elders on a text this week. It went like this. I've been trying to apply information from your sermon. He's referring to my sermon last week on Psalm 46, which was an unbelievable sermon. He <laughs> says, I've been trying to apply your information from your sermon to my everyday home life. I'm not having much success. Blank, he mentions his wife. I'm not going to mention her because I don't want to expose the guilty. <laughs> Blank doesn't find my use of the word sila. <laughs> Those of you that were know, knew uh, Psalm 46, sila meant shut up and listen. <laughs> not having much success, my wife will just say that, doesn't find my use of the word sila particularly appealing to our relationship. I've used it in several instances with her. I'll keep at it. So again, we can thank God that he's at work in your leaders here at Redeemer. There is a mini revival going on amongst the leaders here. It's fantastic. It's great news. We won't say who it is, Jim Tandy, but if we did, <laughs> it would sound something like Jim Tandy. It would even maybe rhyme with Jim Tandy, just saying Jim Tandy. All right, today we start a new series. We're done with the summer series, Praying Through the Psalms, a new series. We're doing what we've done before for the first time last fall, so this is the second time something unprecedented has happened. We're going to preach through two books of the Bible simultaneously at the same time. We're going to preach through Jonah, which we're going to start today. Then next week, we're going to go to 1 Peter, and we're going to go back and forth between these two books. And so the question is, so Jeff, what's the big idea of this series? <laughs> what's the big idea of Jonah and 1 Peter? Why are we doing this? I mean, why should you care about Jonah? Our first Peter. So the longer in ministry I go, the less I can tolerate meaningful, meaningless missions, right? So yesterday was the church fair at Baylor. How many of y'all were at the church fair at Baylor? 
All right, I'm seeing some. Yes, very good. Fantastic. I love the church fair. Absolutely love it. You have all these, I love meeting all the new students. You have all these fresh faces, these expectant faces, these hopeful faces, these faces like, am I enough, right? These faces like, will I be loved? These anxious faces. What's your name? Love it. Where are you from? Do you have a church background? Hey, man, we're all about teaching the Bible. If you want to hear how the Bible's taught, if you want the Bible to be taught expositionally, that's what we're about. We're about good news, not good advice. Man, I hope I see you again. I told Olivia about this one dude. So I greet this dude. Hey, man, how are you? What's your name? Absolute blank stare. Like, who in the are you, right? Undeterred. I know that look. I've seen that look thousands of times. I said, where are you from? Massachusetts. Hat on backwards, sunglasses behind. I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, dude, I went to UMass. A smile. My dad went to UMass. Do you have a church background? I already knew the answer. No. I'm so glad to meet you. Why? Why Jonah? Why First Peter? Why this series for this fall? You want to know what the reason is? Because you do not need a common God. Your home does not need a common God. Baylor University does not need another common God. Waco does not need a common God. Our culture does not need a common God. We need a strange God. And so that's what we're going to do this fall. And you say, well, what do you do with a strange God? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. And we're going to kick it off with Jonah but here's what you do with a strange God. If, you, if you're approaching a strange God, this is the way I want all of us to approach Jonah. This is the way I want all of us to approach 1 Peter. Some of you are long haulers. Some of you are long timers. Some of you were here at the very beginning of the church plant. Some of you got here at 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, 2 years, 1 year. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you, do you have a church background? No. Like, that's the weirdest question I ever heard. So how do you approach a strange God? Here's how you approach him. Incredibly curious. I want you to play Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. Okay. And then here's what I want you to do. You can't account for what's going to happen next, but the goal is curiosity is going to move to astonishment. Now, you can play a part of curiosity. Be curious. I mean, who's not going to be curious when a whale eats this dude? Who's not going to be curious? Is that history? Did that really happen? Is there supernatural realities? Is there an unseen world? Does stuff like that still happen? Why is this written in the Bible? Does he really go there? Does this really happen? Does he interact? Is God really? Be curious. 
and then watch as it changes and shifts somewhere along this journey in, are you really like this? This is too good to be true. You are the strange God. We need the strange God. You need the strange God. I need the strange God. The person sitting next to you needs the strange God. Your home needs the strange God. Let's stand to hear from this strange God. We're looking at verses 1 through 3. Um, I might, who's, who's working the booth back there? I might do like, hey, can we put a verse up there throughout the course of this sermon? Be ready. Ah, yes. Malachi, my man, he will be ready. Here we go. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going down to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. And just in case you forgot what was happening, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We're so grateful that the primary actor here, the primary mover here is you. So it's not our feelings, it's not our will, it's not our faith, it's not our obedience, it's not our holiness, it is you. So I ask that you would help us all just absolutely like relax right now and help us be incredibly curious about you, the strange God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a civil war going on. He's suffering a very, very bad, deep depression. And then his 11-year-old son dies, named Willie. This is Abraham Lincoln. Can you imagine? You think you have a bad day? Civil war, depression, lose your son. So he says this, nothing touches the tired spot. You have a tired spot. Mr. Romance, your girlfriend has a tired spot. Mom, your child has a tired spot. Coach, your players have a tired spot. Baylor professor, your students have a tired spot. Nothing touches the tired spot. And then the book of Jonah comes and says, the strange God can. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Saying, now here's the literal translation. This is so 
incredible because this is the first time it ever happens in all the Bible. We are going to see so many strange things in Jonah, which means they don't happen anywhere else in all the Bible. Or it's the first time it ever happens in the Bible and you get to see tons of them. And this doesn't happen in all the Bible. What doesn't happen, we'll get there in just a second. Now came, now came, here's the literal translation. Now is the word of Yahweh. It's unbelievable. It's a be verb, and it just goes now with a preposition and a verb. So it's like this. It's suddenly, it's immediately, it's unexpected. It just happens. It shows up. Like, out of nowhere. You're riding the bus to school. Suddenly, immediately, now the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh came to you. You're listening to the podcast. Immediately. You're working in the yard, suddenly. You're eating pizza and watching Monday night football. It happens. You're depressed. You're in a civil war. You lose your child. Suddenly. Immediately. No other book in the Bible begins this way. Look at the phrase, word of Yahweh, do you see it? This happens 242 times in the Old Testament, so that's common. But jump-starting the book of the Bible with this phrase, never. Strange. Something strange happens. Something strange suddenly shows up. So what shows up? That's what we're all asking. Well, what shows up? Well, the answer says the word of Yahweh, right? But did you notice what's happening in this interaction with Jonah, though? It's, it's the word of Yahweh, but boy, it's very personalized or personified, we should say. Like the word of the Yahweh shows up like a person. You see the language, came to, Yah, came to Jonah. So it, it comes to you. It, it has a localized presence that approaches you. Personalized, this word of Yahweh. It speaks like a person because it speaks to him. And just in case we didn't know what's exactly happening, in verse 3, we're explicitly told that this word of Yahweh is the presence, the very presence of Yahweh, because when Jonah leaves this word, he leaves the presence of God. So this word of Yahweh is so strange. <laughs> Why is it so strange? Because we tend to think of the Bible as just conveying information. Yeah, Jonah's a prophet. Yeah, thanks, man. That's good information. Uh, Jonah's a book in the Bible. Very good. Glad. Where? Somewhere amidst all those upper respiratory diseases. Diseases. Hezekiah. Haggai. Right? Or once upon a time ago, you know, Jonah the prophet loved fish. You know, great information. But now he only spends his time in a mountain in Aspen. What happened? What changed him? I don't know. Something about a fish. Or verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. Their evil has come up before me. I oh, mean, this is all great information, and that's the way we treat the Bible. The Bible conveys great information, but in Jonah, it gets things done. In Jonah, it communicates a presence. In Jonah, Yahweh shows up. Nothing 
touches the tired spot. Jonah says, a strange God can with his word. That is his very presence. Don't miss this because this is astounding to me. I mean, do you see how God all of a sudden shows up? Well, don't miss how God gets things done in the Bible. Don't miss how he shows up in the Bible. This is amazing. This is like, this will give you rest. This is so strange because this is absolutely not what we think. Notice Jonah isn't praying. God just shows up. God touches him with his word. Notice Jonah isn't fasting. He's not obeying. <laughs> He's not going through a 500-page discipleship manual. God just shows up suddenly strangely, and touches him with his presence. Jonah doesn't have a sincere heart. He doesn't have a committed heart. He doesn't have a sold-out, dedicated heart. He's not sold out, completely surrendered and yielded and, and whatever. And God just shows up, touches him with his word. He isn't weeping for the lost world. He isn't planning a mission trip to Nineveh. He isn't like, oh, God, send me. I'm ready. I want to change the world. God just shows up suddenly, strangely, and touches him with his word. I've got a couple more because I was really on a roll, and I thought they were pretty good. Jonah isn't singing how great thou art. He's not participating in a revival service. He's not feeling passion for holiness. He's not kissing, dating goodbye. He's not debating the Pelagians. He's not marching to change the world. God shows up and touches him with his word. The only life-giving power in all the book of Jonah is the word of Yahweh. It's the only power changing things. It's the only power on the move. It's the only power that's meaningful. It's the only power that forgives. It's the only power that justifies. It's the only power that draws near. It's the only power that loves. It's the only power that renews and heals. It's the only power that gives and creates faith. It's the only power that gives and creates repentance. Old-fashioned words we don't know much about. Nothing touches the tired spot. And the book of Jonah says, the strange God can with his word. So where is your tired spot? I mean, that's the question, right? If, if you and I and all of us have a tired spot, can you name yours? Can you identify yours? I heard a pastor the other day, you remember the Mars Hill, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, where there's a pastor in our tradition that got interviewed at the end of it, and he said something that was absolutely like, yes, so true. We trend to think that pastors and churches and Christians don't have tired spots. And basically, everyone does. And what this pastor said was, if you're a church leader, you should be able to name off the tip of your tongue one to three to four to five tired spots. I'm using that language. But he said, areas of deep struggle. Have you ever been around pastors and church leaders that can't? 
Oh, sure you have. You leave. They are that... I'm trying to be nice. I mean, I've been in conversations with some pastors that I just want to say, oh, yeah, that's right. You're not a real sinner for God. Thank you for, for reminding me and telling everybody here that you're not. Some of you are thinking, my tired spot is beyond reach. I am beyond reach. I know that you're thinking that. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is another first. I know it's another strange thing in a strange book about a strange God, but nowhere in all the Bible, nowhere in all of redemptive history, nowhere in the story of salvation has God sent a prophet to a Gentile nation. This is strange. Absolutely strange. I mean, those of you that know Rahab, she was a high-dollar prostitute in Jericho, another Gentile city. If she was going to Jonah's church, and Jonah said, Rahab, you're never going to believe what the Lord just did. He just gave me this word. He told me that I need to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. She'd say, that's strange. But here's the catch. Nineveh is not just a Gentile city, an Assyrian city. And it's not just the power center and the cultural center of the world, which it was. Nineveh is evil. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For, here's the reason, their evil has come up before me. The picture here is not just they've done some evil and it's there. It's evil that's arisen from the earth and has moved past Everest and has stacked itself so much so that it has gone into the throne room of heaven and God's like, it's before me. That's the picture. If you were Jonah, right now, you'd be freaking out. In Harry Potter, everybody was afraid to say the name, right? So they would all walk around saying, he who must not be named. And if someone said, don't say that name. If you were in an ancient Near Eastern coffee house, and you said, Nineveh, you'd clear the room. Nineveh, if it was around today, would be on the Tigris River somewhere, somewhere near modern-day Mosul in northern Iraq. So 500 miles from Jerusalem, 220 miles from Baghdad. In about 25 to 35 years, this city would be the epicenter to launch a destructive force that will go into the northern tribes of Israel, the top 10 tribes, and obliterate them. So much so that they're called to this day the 10 lost tribes because nobody knows what happened to them. So when you think of Israel... Don't be thinking 12 nations and 12 tribes. When you're thinking Israel, there's only two we're talking about today. Judah and Benjamin. The other 10, I don't know, Syria did something with them and we can't find them. Archaeologists, historians like Arika 
Blebtrau say, it is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. Even a Google search says, Assyria is in the top five of the most evil, wicked, worst civilizations in the history of humanity. First, there's the technological advancements, which this is really interesting. The leaders of Assyria had all these technological advancements, right? And you know where they say they got their knowledge? From their God, their gods that would communicate with them. Now, this is incredibly interesting. Why do you say that's interesting? Because most of you are shaking right now. The reason why it's interesting is because our next theology after dark in September is on angels and demons. And so we'll even talk about that. Not now, but then. All right, let's get back to the deal. What was their technological advancement? Their military was the first to use iron instead of bronze. And they got this knowledge for warfare from the gods. Well, what's the difference between iron and bronze? Oh, great question. So glad you asked. So you're going to war and you bring a banana. Bronze. Assyria comes to war bringing a death star. Iron. The second thing is their brutality. When they conquered you, when you surrendered to them, it didn't matter. If you surrendered, it doesn't matter. The same thing's going to happen to you, so you might as well die on the battlefield. Uh, number one, the live dismemberment. They would cut off your body parts piece by piece, one by one, noses, ears, genitals, limbs. But they would leave your hand so they could shake it before you die. The parades, surviving families, surviving families, would have their loved ones' heads on poles, and they would form a parade, and they would march through their conquered city with their loved ones' heads on poles. The skinning, this is before Hannibal Lecter, this is before Silence of the Lambs. They would stretch you with ropes and then skin you and then put your skin that looked like a skinwalker on the walls. Nice people. The young, if you were 12 and under, they burned you alive while your parents watched. Folks, this went on for 250 years. 250 years. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Condemn it, for their evil has come up before me. Some of you are thinking, my tired spot is beyond reach. I am beyond reach. In other words, you feel like Nineveh. We'll spend more time in Nineveh, but here's what you need to know. The end of the story, the whole city is reached by God. And it's the shortest sermon on record reached the most people in the ancient world on record at the time. It is eight words. Now, and it happened on the first day. So this was a scheduled, like, you know, reserve the room, three-day revival that was supposed to happen. You're supposed to, hey, I want you to go in three days and call out against it. The first day, eight words. Here's the words. Yep, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and everyone re- Everyone's reached. How do we know they're reached? Because the text says they repented. Well, what's repent? 
Repent means, it's an old word, but it just means they came to an honest assessment of themselves. I am a sinner. They came to an honest assessment. Who else did this? Well, there's this great man who could be the greatest man that ever lived beside Jesus. When he talks about himself, and he talks about himself not before he became a Christian, he talks about himself as an apostle, as a leader. And he says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is, not me, Paul says. And Nineveh came to that realization. They had this deep sense of self-awareness. We are wicked. Do you think? What wretched men, women, and children we are. Who will deliver us from this body of death? And they realized they couldn't. And the rest of the story is they end up calling out to God for mercy. Okay. So the book of Jonah is saying to you that feel that you're beyond reach, no, you're not. No, you're not. Look at Nineveh. In fact, that feeling that you have that you're beyond reach, that real self-awareness that you're broken, that real self-awareness that you're messed up is the same feeling that was going on in Nineveh. And they were reached. Nothing touches the tired spot. And the book of Jonah says, the strange God can. So where's your tired spot? Let's end this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, some of Amadai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. For their evil has come up before me, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So there it is, right? I mean, here he is. Jonah is, you need to know this though. This is, most of us look at this and we go, Jonah, oh my word, dude. But Jonah, you need to know at that time in that world was a celebrity pastor. He was friends with Elijah. Jewish tradition says he was the son, the widow's son that got deathly sick and died and Elijah came in and rose him from the dead. That's his spiritual mentor. That's his friends. Those are the spiritual people, the influencers he hangs around with. And not only that, we're told in the Bible that this Jonah went into a guy, a king named Jeroboam, and God used him to bless Israel back to the glory days of David. Economic prosperity, military prosperity and success. It was phenomenal. And not only that, the land was expanded. The real estate business boomed. And Israel was back to its old borders. He was a national hero. He was a spiritual celebrity. He was where God was at work, wherever he went. But the first thing we see Jonah doing is running away from God. This church leader, this great prophet, this mover and shaker, this specially anointed individual. The text wants you to see it. God says, arise and go. It's a real joke in the Hebrew. God says, arise and go, but Jonah arose and fled. (laughs) It's beautiful. Why is it beautiful? You are looking at pure disobedience, pure disobedience. Arise and go. No, I think I'll arise and flee. Pure disobedience, flawless rebellion. 
and we don't need to know whether he had a bad family. We don't, it's just right there. Right now, all you need to know, and all the text wants you to know and crystal clear is that Jonah is flawless rebellion, pure disobedience, perfect sin. It's easier to spot than Adam's, Samson's, David's. It's right there, and everybody wants, the text wants you to see it. So the book of Jonah is asking, before you even begin the book, who's the chief of sinners in the world? you got tons of candidates out there to choose from, so you're going to need to be curious. Who is the chief of sinners in Jonah? Be curious. Don't come up with an answer right now. But the book of Jonah is also asking the reader. It's also asking the original Israelite reader that's looking at it. It's also asking the church to this day. You and I begin to read this book, and the book of Jonah is saying to you and me, Who's the chief of sinner in your little world? Is it your wife or you? Is it your child or you? Is it that annoying kid in homeroom or you? Is it President Biden or you? Is it President Trump or you? Is it the culture or you? Don't answer. Just be curious. I want you to look. Here's how we're going to end. Look at the word of Yahweh again. You know what that means, Yahweh? That's God's good news name. Yahweh is the name that he has specifically for sinners. Yahweh is the name he gives specifically to messed up people. Yahweh is the name that he gives to people like Nineveh and Jonah and you and me. It's his good news name. So this is the good news name of God. So Ty and I are throwing football the other night, Thursday, right? Dude, the next morning he's going to have his first 605 football practice. 605, not 604. Not 606, says Coach Pierce, 605. So we're going to be there at 605. So it's going to be seventh grade football. So like any dad that would want to do at this time, he's getting ready to have it in the morning. I want to encourage my son, right? Don't you? Wouldn't you? I mean, I want to encourage him. I want to help him. I want to strengthen him. I want him to be brave. I want him to forget himself. I want him to enjoy the sport amidst all the pressures to perform and everybody yelling at you and your own little inner critic. I want him to be safe, okay. I want him to be brave and courageous. I want him to have fun and enjoy it. So I would do, what do you say to a kid? What would you say? Well, what did you say? I could tell, I could tell, he could tell that I was going to say something because he says, Dad, are you about ready to tell me something inspirational? He's just, this is what I can't stand. He's just like my wife. I can't get away with anything in our house. No. I think it. I feel it. They say it. Well, no. No. Why? Why? It really is not fun to live in a house like that where you don't want your thoughts and feelings being known and you have people that can read them. Do you want to say something inspirational to me right now, Dan? Yes. So what did I say? Well, what did I say? What I said is what parents say 99.9% of the time to their kids. What did I say? I say what, what 
Husbands and wives say to each other 99.9% of the time. What did I say? I say what you say 99.9% of the time. What did I say? I say what the culture says 99.9% of the time. What did I say? I say what teachers and professors and coaches and everyone in this room say 99.9% of the time. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, all the days of our life till you pass on. Gave him good advice, of course. The book of Jonah, at the very opening word, there's a preposition and then good news. Good news, not good advice. The deepest impulse of everyone in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites, the Israelites, Jonah, you and me, is to run away from God. The deepest impulse in the heart of God is to run towards you, the sinner. Do you know what's so strange is that Jesus, it's just really weird, I never could quite figure it out. I mean, I can give you biblical theological reasons, of course I can Jesus, of many things he says about himself, do you know that he calls himself the true Jonah? (sighs) Why? Well, you know, many people say because he's in the fish for three days and he rises from the dead. Fantastic, that's great. I mean, that's great. That's good biblical theological stuff. That's a gospel arc. Into that stuff. Love that stuff. But here's what I think. You're saying, Jeff, when did you think this? Well, it was actually in my sleep last night. I never finished the sermon, so I don't know how it's going to end. We're going to end right now. You ready? It's 1 o'clock, and I finally said, I can't do this anymore, and i got to go to bed. So here it is. Why is he the true Jonah? Because he will never, ever, ever run away from your sin. He doesn't run to Tarshish. He runs to the cross for you, for all the running from God that you do in your life, for all the Nineveh in you and all the Jonah in you. He runs the deepest impulse of the true Jonah is to run towards you while you run away. Be curious. Let's see who wins. <laughs>